welcome to the podcast Pod Ipsa Locator, a podcast for Connecticut trial attorneys by Connecticut trial attorneys, with your hosts, John Kennedy and Mike Walsh. Welcome to another episode of Pod It's a Locator. This is the podcast of the Connecticut Trial Lawyers Association. It's hosted by my friend and colleague, John Kennedy, and myself, I'm Mike Walsh. John, let me turn it over to you to introduce our really interesting and exciting guest today. Today, we have a really special guest. Marianne LeBlanc is a partner at the Boston Law Firm. Many of you know as Sugarman and Sugarman. Remarkably, she's been there 28 years, she tells me, though I don't believe it as I, as I look at her just today. She's had many great verdicts up there. She's a top-notch trial lawyer. She's a fellow of the American College of Trial Lawyers. She's listed in Best Lawyers, and of course, she's on all the super lawyer lists that you can name. I'm going to skip over most of her accolades, but go to the thing that we're here about today, which is that in 2018, Marianne was appointed by the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts to the Board of Bar Overseers, in which she now serves as vice chair, and she also serves as co-chair of the Massachusetts Bar Association's Lawyer Wellbeing Committee. She's also on the Board of Governors of AAJ. And today, we're going to talk about issues of lawyer well-being, which includes life balance and wellness, things that seem to be getting more and more difficult in these days of the pandemic, and perhaps we're going to discuss that a little bit here today. But I want to ask you first, Marianne, how did you get involved in this area, and how big a problem are these issues in our profession? Well, thank you, John, for that very kind introduction, and uh, thank you, Mike and John, for your work on this podcast, which is a great, great service to your community. So to answer your question, I first got involved with the lawyer well-being movement through my work on the Board of Bar Overseers, which is our regulatory body uh, in Massachusetts, when I was asked to serve on the regulators subcommittee of our Supreme Judicial Court's steering committee on lawyer well-being. So if I could back up a second, in 2017, the National Task Force on Lawyer Well-Being came out with their seminal report, The Path to Lawyer Well-Being, in which they pointed out that we as a profession are in crisis in terms of the well-being of our lawyers. And one of their recommendations was that each state form a commission to study these issues. So Massachusetts did. They brought me in on that committee. They issued their report in 2019. And since the beginning of 2020, I've been involved with our Mass Bar Association Lawyer Wellbeing Committee as co-chair. So that's how I, I got brought into it. And it really dovetailed with my what was going on in my own personal life at that time and my own personal realization of how important it is that we pay attention to these issues. That's really interesting. Is there a difference, Marianne, between wellness and well-being? Yes, there is, although there's often a lot of confusion about that. So when we talk about wellness, we're really talking primarily about physical health, which is just really a part of well-being. So the National Task Force defines well-being as a continuous process in which lawyers strive for thriving in each dimension of their lives, including emotional, occupational, intellectual, spiritual, social, and physical health. So it's really a broader multi-dimensional concept. It doesn't mean the absence of 
dysfunction. It, it doesn't mean a transient state uh, of happiness, but rather this striving to thrive in all dimensions. You mentioned that we're a profession in crisis. And what are the statistics right now in terms of how big a problem this is? And I'm curious as to whether the problem affects certain groups more than others. I, I do see in my own practice over time that younger lawyers often seem to be much more stressed than we old coots who are battle-hardened and also are solo practitioners, for example, more subject to these kinds of problems. Well, John, your observations have been borne out by the research. So what gave rise to the National Task Force work was a study that was published in 2016 in the Journal of Addiction Medicine. They had surveyed thousands of lawyers, and the important findings there were that 21% of the lawyers surveyed were problematic drinkers as compared to 12% of highly educated workers in the U.S. 28% had mild to high depression and severe depression at a rate that was 3.6 times the general population, okay? 11% of them endorsed suicidal thoughts. So those are very sobering statistics. And at the same time, to your point about younger lawyers, they did a study with respect to law students. And notably, they found that 43% of them had been binge drinking within the two weeks uh, before the study. And further, and maybe even more troubling, is that 42% of them endorsed feeling the need for mental health help with only half actually seeking it, okay? So what we have seen is that it is our younger people who are very vulnerable to the chronic stress that starts in law school. And what the studies have also found, and by the way, all of this that we're talking about today, it's based in science, peer-reviewed articles and science that, that's been done. And, and what they've shown is that people who enter law school don't enter with these problems, but they come out with them because of the chronic stress and the pressure that, that's built on these external pressures of succeeding and, and all these external measures of success that, that we go through. And without healthy supports, which clearly we did not have when we went to law school, but I think the law schools are getting better now. I mean, one of the biggest problems I think I have is too much work. And hey, look, we all want files, we all want business, so I don't want to complain about it, but it's really, really hard when you're in like a small personal injury practice like like John and I to turn down files. You just hate turning down. But it's interesting, John and I, you know, an attorney named Dale Faulkner, one of the greatest guys going, and he told me once when he kind of semi-retired, he just took a, like a small group of files and he really, you know, he worked them well. And he was probably more lucrative on that small group of five or six, seven files than he was when he was, you know, working full time managing, you know, 150 files. It, it, you know, it's interesting. So I think there's like a misconception. You just have to kind of constantly take on more work and take on more work. I'm not sure that's the best way to do it, but that's where my stress comes from. You know, I see like just covered this stuff and I just feel like I can't get to it. I hear that. And I, I think, you know, you're putting your finger on the issue of saying no. 
when we need right. to say no. And it's hard for us as trial lawyers. And by the way, you know, like you, I, I'm a trial lawyer. And I think the issues we're talking about today are, are very important to our community. Uh, John, you, you asked me earlier and I didn't uh, get to it, but the populations that I think are most affected, as we said, are younger lawyers. Certainly solo practitioners have been found to have very high degrees uh, of stress uh, and often without feeling they have the ability to seek out help. But also I think our trial lawyer community because of the stakes, right? I mean, this is a zero sum game for us. Financial pressures are high. The competition is high. And to your point, Mike, you know, about taking on too much, you know, there's a question, I guess, of, you know, when are we working too much? And I think what we need to do is to really listen to ourselves to see if our lives are getting out of whack and to look for the signs of that. The signs of that are insomnia, irritability, you know, when we don't have that reserve for our temper, when our physical condition starts to deteriorate, uh, we're worn out, we're sick, perhaps we've had a a weight gain because our cortisol levels are are sky high, missing deadlines, not having time to spend with our loved ones. These are all signs that we're out of whack or out of balance in our lives that we should pay attention to. Yeah, to follow up on something Mike said too, two things. First of all, as trial lawyers, we're in an adversarial profession by definition. And, you know, recently I've had the experience of certain defense lawyers who send me something at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon (laughs) or on a holiday weekend. And, you know, you wonder, we've become less a profession and more a business. And I wonder whether that has something to do with it. Over the time I've been practicing in 40 plus years, certainly the character of the way people interrelate with each other has changed. The other thing, it's kind of an Aside to that is that I wonder how the pandemic, whether there's any statistics about how that has affected this, because there doesn't seem to be, my wife is telling me that I now have no boundary between work and play and leisure time because every day is the same. You know, that yeah. we're looking at electronic devices and it doesn't matter whether we're looking at them at 10 o'clock at night or five, 10 o'clock in the morning. I just yeah, wonder whether there's any studies on those kinds of things. Well, to your first point, John, the issue of civility is a big important part of the well-being movement that was recognized by the National Task Force and that needs to be a part of these discussions. One of the recommendations made by the task force and in many of our states is that we need to be having conversations, bench bar conversations with judges and lawyers so that we can try to alleviate that type of incivility that you're talking about, to call it out. You know, if a judge is seeing it in his or her courtroom, to call it out and stop it, that it's just not acceptable to be dealing with each other that way. Um, what do you do if the judge is creating it? <laughs> the yeah. <incivility. laughs> Right. Well, and that certainly happens, right? Um, right. And that's where bench bar conversations on a regular basis can help. Yeah. In one of my counties, I serve as chair of the bench bar committee. We meet every month, all of the sitting judges in the courthouse and a group of lawyers, and we talk about things. And if something comes up, 
if there is a judge who is acting inappropriately, that's something that we can talk about. And there needs to be a, a forum for that and an avenue of communication. As far as the pandemic, John, I, I think you're exactly right that what we're seeing is blurring of the lines between our work life and our personal life, because many of us are conducting both of those lives in the same place, right? Yeah. In our home. So it becomes very easy not to have those boundaries. And at the same time, I think we're all suffering a bit from isolation from yeah. our colleagues, from our staff, from the outside world. And that can be very disorienting. As far as statistics, John, I'm not aware of any recent statistics. I know that there are a couple of studies that are pending and those results will be coming soon. But, you know, I think at the same time where we have such challenges right now with uh, work-life boundaries, it's also an opportunity for all of us to really reevaluate how we work and whether we want to work in the way we did pre-pandemic. I think hopefully many of us have found that with the extra time of not commuting and maybe the time to put a suit on and all of the things that we we do to prepare for the workday that we can get other things done, that maybe we have more time to take care of ourselves, to sleep and exercise, all of those things that we really need to be doing. So I, I hope that we as lawyers will will take that opportunity now and not just go back to our usual ways, but to be more intentional once we get back to whatever the new normal is going to be. Yeah, some good things I think have come out of this. I, I'm never going to travel again for a med mal deposition. I am going to do all- Amen to that. Uh, every med mal deposition is going to be through Zoom. Yeah, maybe you lose a little bit, but boy, walking through the airports at 10 o'clock at night with your litigation, you know, those days right. are over in my opinion. Let me give you an example of a work week, Marianne. So let's say you work five days a week. You know, you go in at yeah, maybe 8, 8.30, you work until maybe 5.36, that five days a week. And then on Saturday morning, you go in and you catch up on your emails and spend a few hours then. Then you go home and maybe Sunday evening, you start looking at what's going on on Monday. Is that crazy? Is that too much? Uh, that's a good question. You're you're kind of describing my my life. To my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, as I'm listening, I'm getting scared already. I'm having anxiety. <laughs> that, that sounds very familiar. You know, I think it goes back, Mike, to uh, our internal sensor in terms of, you know, what is too much. You know, we talk sometimes about this notion of work-life balance, right? And, and some people bristle at that. They say, well, wait a minute, my personal life and my work life shouldn't be balanced evenly. And there, there's a great uh, professor at, at Simmons University in Boston. Her name is Shpela Trefault, and she does a lot of work in this space on work-life balance. And she describes it as balance is like a ship's keel, where this, the waters may be stormy, but the the ship is steady in the water. And she also says that it's kind of like a fifth grade physics problem where you can balance two unequal weights just by adjusting the fulcrum, right? So you can think yeah, about right. your work life and your personal life that way and not we don't have to think of them as being in opposition, but rather our work life and our personal life can operate in tandem to give 
our life meaning. They can be interwoven and amplify one another to strengthen each other. So I always think that's a, a helpful way to think about it. And, and I think, Mike, you know, we do have to set up some boundaries. So, you know, the issue of the 24-7 availability with technology is an issue for all yeah. of us, right? Yeah. I mean, we're getting emails at every hour of the day or night. You wake up and a client may have emailed you at three in the morning. We've got to have some boundaries around that. And I think that's very personal. For example, for me, I'm an early bird. So I will respond to emails at five, six a.m. I'll send emails at that time. But what I don't do generally is respond to emails at night. Right. I may look, I may look at them, but yeah. I'm not going to respond. That's my time. Uh, I'm done at the end of the day. And if it can wait, I mean, obviously emergencies happen that you have to respond to, but if it's not an emergency, I'll respond in the morning. And that is how I'm able to carve out some time for myself. And things look different at night. They really do too. You look at it in yeah. the morning at work and it's not as bad yeah. as you thought it was. You know, That's really is. Well, I, you know, I, I feel that what Mike just said, you know, I'm one of those people who in the middle of the night, I wake up and I can't get it out of my head, something I need to do. And I can't go back to sleep. And, you know, you reminded me of the beer commercial with the, where the guy skips his phone into the water, uh, the Corona commercial, you know, it's going to get away from it. Those phones and the technology have made this a 24 seven mm. job, which is a problem, but I want to change gears a little bit and just ask you this. You're not just talking about lawyers who are impaired. You're talking about making lawyers who aren't impaired, but thrive. Yes. That, that's right. It's it's not just a focus on people who have problems. It's the focus on dealing with the problems. Is that fair? That, that is very fair. You know, clearly we have lawyers who are impaired due to addiction or mental health issues that are not treated. But a lot of us are, are just dealing with chronic stress, or if we're not dealing with chronic stress, we're on our way to dealing with it. And there are clearly ways that we can be living better. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with self-care, basic self-care principles, which I think were beaten out of many of us when we went to law school, frankly, yeah. you know, where, you know, not taking your care of yourself in law school was like a badge of honor. Look, I don't need to sleep. I don't need to eat. I can drink as much, you know, alcohol as I want. Uh, I don't have to take care of myself. I'm so macho and, and that really carries into, I'm afraid, the trial lawyer culture where we never can show weakness. And, you know, we really have to counteract that because it is not healthy for us. We, I think, especially as trial lawyers, we spend most of our time in, and this is science here, a sympathetic state. Our sympathetic nervous system, that flight or fight response is firing all the time. And in order to do that, we need to tap into our parasympathetic nervous system. We've got to shut that off. And that comes from really working on, on your breathing and your mindfulness. Meditation is great for that, but you've got to take conscious, intentional action to turn off that sympathetic nervous system, which can lead to a lot of health problems and cognitive issues as well. That, that's interesting. I read an article once talking about those emails at off hours. There was a CEO and she would never send emails over the weekend to any of her workers because she didn't want to, you know, create the impression that she was working, they, they should be working. So she'd type up emails and then she'd hold them all until Monday morning and then send them. And I, I thought that was, a, you know, that's a, 
you know, because a lot of this, I think, fix this problem. It's going to come from the top. You know, I know people here kind of take their cues from what I do, you know, in terms of work hours and things like that. And uh, I think it's probably the people at the top of the firms that need to start focusing on this to, to bring about change. That, that is exactly right. You've hit it on the head, Mike. So a, a large part of this well-being movement is, number one, taking care of ourselves, self-care. But to your point, it's organizational and it's it's cultural. So we need our leaders like you in their firms to set an example for their staff that you don't want them to be work addicted. You don't want them to be overworking. You want them to take the time off that they've earned because they're going to be better lawyers uh, for, for doing that. You know, I want to quote briefly, if you'll indulge me, um, our Chief Justice, uh, the late Chief Justice uh, Ralph Gantz, who was a huge supporter of the well-being movement in Massachusetts and died last summer unexpectedly. You know, he, he was quoted as saying, the health of our legal system depends on the health of the profession. Wow. And the health of the profession, in turn, depends upon the health of our lawyers. And, and that's what we're talking about. So, you know, these efforts at well-being, they have to come also from the leaders in the firms, the leaders in the bar associations, and the leaders in our courts as well. Sure. You know, it's funny you say that because, you know, I remember when I was a very young lawyer, we didn't have trials during the summer. And, you know, I, I always wondered whether we should try to get back to that. But as an aside, one of the things you talk about in your articles about this is the issue of competence. Can you explain how that relates to the lawyer well-being issues? Absolutely. And that was discussed at length by the National Task Force, which came to the conclusion that our competence is very much related to our well-being. And in fact, at least two states have changed their rules. Rule 1.1 as to competence um, to make that clear. In California, their rule 1.1 requires that lawyers maintain their emotional physical ability reasonably necessary to perform their job. And in Virginia, they added a comment to Rule 1.1 with respect to maintaining mental, physical, emotional health as an important aspect of, of competence. So I think that's really helpful that we as lawyers realize that we're not talking about wellness or well-being as some kind of luxury, right, that, that we can't afford, which I think is the way many of us have thought for many years, but yeah. rather that this is a core issue that is core and necessary in order that we can be competent lawyers. So I think it's a, a very important way to frame the issue. If you don't mind me asking, Marianne, I mean, I know at Sugarman, you guys handle really huge, you know, complex medical malpractice cases and other cases. I mean, how do you do it? How do you manage it? Because I imagine when you're on trial, you know, you're, you're working a lot of hours. Like, did you have, was it difficult for you to find ways to, you know, work in time to attend to like relaxation and other things? Mm -hmm. Well, look, you know, I, I would say this, that it was only a few years ago that I realized uh, that I, I was not, I did not have healthy habits in terms of work, to be frank, and realized that, you know, I wasn't 
eating, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't taking care of myself. And I, I think, you know, that's what I saw around me in the community. Uh, I didn't think I was really that different. But looking back, you know, I had the great fortune of getting back to being a competitive athlete again in my late 40s. <laughs> and in learning that I had to take care of myself to train and perform, it all clicked with me that I need to do that as a lawyer too, so that I can perform as a lawyer. And I learned that it is so important to recover when you're an athlete, right? You've got to recover from your training in order to get stronger and better. And the same is true for all of us as lawyers, that we've got to take that time at the end of the day, on the weekend, or in our vacations to recover from what we do, because what we do is hard. It's, it's stressful physically and intellectually and emotionally at times. So, you know, how, how do I make it work? Uh, to be frank, you know, being able to work out and exercise hard is a huge release for me. And that's my time. And it, it helps to keep me uh, in, in balance. Uh, I've really prioritized my sleep and that makes me a much better human being. I was kind of sleep deprived by choice. Uh, you know, that macho, I don't need to sleep. Yeah. I can get by with this, but guess what? We're much better with real sleep. So I highly encourage people to really be intentional and, and play around with it to see, okay, you know, maybe seven and a half is better than seven hours. Can I do that? Can I make that a priority? And tell our listeners your sport. I'm sure they're dying to hear your sport. <laughs> I'm a power lifter. <laughs> so I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, Marianne, that I don't know what whether the Connecticut Bar Association has an organization or as a committee about this. But, I, you know, so I want to start with the first question is, what do you do as a lawyer if you identify a problem either in yourself or in one of your colleagues in your office or outside of your office, for that matter, that you think has a problem or a well-being issue? Or And do we have an organization here in Connecticut? And I don't know, maybe, Mike, you know, that it handles these kinds of issues. Well, I do know that the Connecticut Bar Association has a lawyer well-being committee. So yeah. That would certainly be a resource uh, for your members. But well, I, I didn't know that. Oh, that's good. Yeah, either. but I think you raise a really important question, which is, you know, what do we do when we think we need help or maybe a colleague needs help? And a big part of the, the problem around well-being for lawyers has been stigma, the stigma around reaching out for help. People are afraid. They're afraid for their ticket that maybe their license will be taken away if they try to get help. They're afraid they may be seen as weak or unsuccessful. And of course, reaching out for help is a sign of strength not weakness. And, and that's what this movement is, is trying to, to get across. And in each of our states, we have lawyer assistance programs. In Massachusetts, we, we call it uh, Lawyers Concern for Lawyers. Not sure what they call it in Connecticut, but it's in every state and it's available. Group here in Connecticut too. Katie's telling me that. Yeah. And we are going to get the telephone number and we are going to plug it in at the end of this podcast for anyone who needs it. And then we'll also post it on the CTLA website, but I know it's there, but we'll get the access to e the email and the telephone number. So our listeners can access it if they'd like. That's great, Mike. I mean, I, I know in Massachusetts, I've been on programs where, you know, lawyers of our uh, ilk who have been out for you know, 20, 30 years have said, well, gee, I didn't even know that program existed. And, and so it's important that people know those resources are there. They, they have counseling services uh, that can be provided. They can hook you up with a counselor or 
psychologytoday.com is a great resource for counselors and remote counseling services have never been more available than they are today. So that's a great thing uh, for folks, especially for lawyers who might be concerned about physically going to see a counselor who maybe being embarrassed that someone would see them. Now you can do that remotely. So that's a wonderful opportunity. But I, I think we want to be striving for creating an environment in our firms and organizations where we encourage people to reach out for help when they need it. And look for it too. Look for it in others. Because I, th- I think we really all do have an obligation. Like John, you kind of raised the issue there. We, we should be looking out for it and trying to help people if we can, because it is such a such a prevalent problem. It really is. And I would imagine, Marianne, there's an association between employers who are having problems with their well-being and things like grievances and issues with discipline and and the like. Very much so. I have seen that over and over. I mean, I've seen statistics uh, that have said maybe 40 to 50 percent of lawyers with disciplinary issues have impairments, whether due to gambling or addiction or, or untreated mental health issues. We see it over and over. And, you know, it's it's sad because much of that is preventable if those folks had been able to get help. And often we see the problem when it's it's too late, which is why this lawyer well-being movement is hoping to get at, at the roots, starting with the law students, so that they don't create those bad habits that that many of our colleagues did back in our law school days. And the entire profession when we have those kinds of issues, obviously. Yeah, by all means. But I mean, John, how many of our functions you know, do we go to and, you know, the first hour and a half is a cocktail party. I mean, alcohol is just so woven into the practice of law. I mean, it really is. And, you know, everyone, you know, in today, you want to go out, it's always, you know, for drinks, you know, I mean, just everything is alcohol related. And, you know, it's been that way for years, but it would be great if there were just other avenues. I think that's what we have to work on developing other ways to relax and enjoy each other's company. Mike's going to become a power lifter after today. Well, I'm already there, John. (laughs) It's one of my secret hidden talents. (laughs) I'm sure you could outlift me, Mike. I I always say I I may not be the strongest lifter, but I'm one of the oldest. So that's that's going to be worth something. you know, I think you're exactly right, Mike, in terms of the um, the overemphasis on alcohol with our events, you know, especially trial lawyers. And, oh, and hopefully terrible. we can all rethink that, you know, whether we really want there to be so much of an emphasis on, you know, you've got a bar and all they're serving is beer and wine. And, and yeah. that's it. Uh, sometimes you're hard pressed to get a glass of water at yeah. some of these events. Yeah, no, you're um, right. And then you wonder why we have such issues in our profession. And we've all seen it. Yeah. I think people need to, uh, you know, I get it. It's hard and we come home and we're stressed. But when we're drinking every day at the end of the day, I think, you know, we have to think about whether it's just because we want to or or whether it's because we really need to and to assess that. Well, this has been great, Marianne. And to kind of finish up on a high note, I think the trick to all of this is, you know, what you're doing is making us aware you know, bringing, bringing this issue out and talking about it. I mean, you know, we haven't heard it much, right, John? I mean, when, you know, in our, in our bar circles or anything like that. And I think, I think it needs to be talked about and people hear it and hopefully it will, will really make a difference. So I want to thank you very much for, for coming on today. I, you know, I, I found this fascinating. I really have. And I just really want to thank you for talking about what you were talking about. I share 
Well, it's Marianne, and I want I want to thank you as well. And you know, we all know that these these are issues. We've all lived them and seen them, and we need some positive steps forward to try to mitigate these problems. And thank you for what you do. I appreciate it. And if you stay on this program a second or two longer, we are going to have the uh, telephone numbers and the emails of the resource services available here in Connecticut for attorneys and anyone else having difficulty. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. If you or someone you know would benefit from the resources discussed during this podcast, you can reach out to the Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers program. Information can be found at lclct.org, or you can call the confidential hotline at 1-800-497-1422. Wellness resources can also be found at the CTLA website located at www cttriallawyers.org. Thank you for joining us on Pod Ipsa Locator. The number to contact the CTLA is 860-522-4345. Their website is located at cttriallawyers.org.